Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Good morning, everybody. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, be with us as we continue our journey uh, through the Holy Spirit of understanding, as we look back a little bit in the history, but especially to as we dive deeper into how the Holy Spirit works. Uh, be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again, everybody, for joining us. So uh, as I indicated, we're going to try to go through a little bit of the history and, and understanding of the Holy Spirit and how it came about, uh, at least uh, to be written and accepted. So it's not always been uh, an easy journey of understanding the Holy Spirit. Uh, going back to the days of Jesus and the first Christians, uh, they obviously were monotheistic. They believed in one God, the one true God. Uh, and uh, it clashed with the surrounding narrative of the Greeks and, and the Roman culture. In fact, if you go back to Acts 17, Paul and Silas were traveling, and when they came to Athens, he speaks and debates with the philosophers there in Athens. The Athen Athenians had numerous gods, and but yet they'd saved an extra one just for the unknown God. Now, over time, uh, early attempts to explain and understand God, and especially the Holy Spirit, required that they, uh, in their eyes, blend a mixture of the monotheism and polytheistic views. And so I'm just giving a very brief description. Um, so because to go, it's going to be quite in depth. But just this is a brief uh, introduction. Now, Philo, he was a well-known Jewish intellectual, and he tried to combine the two views and the allegorical and literal approach of God. And so he created it through uh, these agents called Justice, Sophia, that's uh, coming from the Greek word sophos, which means wisdom, and logos, which means word. And eventually it led to a, a dualistic nature and, and eventually this uh, segment of believers who uh, I, I believe we call them Gnostics. Now around the second century, Marconianism, uh, I believe he was a or Marconian himself was a, a sailor and he sold his ships and everything and he, he decided to uh, create a, a school or a place of, of thought. And his kind of basic premise was he, uh, his understanding was that the Old Testament God was basically a fool and eliminated uh, the part of the New Testament part of where Jesus uh, being related to the Father and kind of cut and paste, he, he tried to make up his own scriptures and, and belief. Now, that also continued to uh, further, uh, how should I say, it, it, it created separatist groups, Gnosticism again, whereby uh, Gnostics believed that you had to have a special knowledge to be saved. And as time went by, the idea of God continued to be discussed, discussed in conferences and councils. And frankly, they, uh, they could not agree. Sometimes they would have fights and, and uh, they would strongly, vehemently opposed one another. So obviously, not everyone was in one accord. And this can be perplexing. We have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. How do we understand that they are one? Are they not three separate gods? Now, theology, it's, uh, when you break it down, it means the study of God. It can be a challenging topic. And when you do theology, 
You can't do it. Its theology is not done in a vacuum. It requires careful thought and dialogue. It requires conversation. And as you look back in history, has the world, much less the church, ever been in one accord on anything? Even in Adventism, we hold our fundamental beliefs, but do we all worship the same way? Do we all have the same uh, style of, of music? No, we, we do differ in how we practice. And, and even to be honest, I think uh, you could also, it's fair to say that we do have different ideas and iterations of, of even some of our beliefs. That's not necessarily bad because when you have differences, it helps us to see the bigger picture. If we all thought the same thing, if we we're all robots, would there be any growth? Now, as Adventists, uh, it took some time, in fact, to even recognize that there was the Holy Spirit in this, this trinity. Now, Merlin Burt, uh, he's a professor at Andrews, and actually we went to the same church many, many years ago when I was a kid, before he went to, uh, to Andrews. He says, one of the most remarkable aspects of the history of the Seventh-day Adventist Church is the development of the position of the Trinity and the deity of Christ. These doctrines did not become normative in the church until the middle of the 20th century. He goes on to say that the church gradually shifted during the 1930s to the 1950s to the Orthodox Christian view on the Trinity and the deity of Christ. And during the 1940s, an ever-increasing majority of the church was believing in the eternal, unrivaled deity of Christ and the Trinity. Yet there were some who held back, even actively resisted in the change. And I think even too, it's fair to say that even some of you who are even listening to may not necessarily fully accept that. That's okay. We continue to work and we continue to study together. But I believe it was not until actually 1980, 1980, when the first uh, edition of the fundamental beliefs, was it something that officially the Adventist church recognized the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the beautiful uh, but also challenging things when we think about God is, uh, and especially the Holy Spirit, is that it can be mysterious. I think that's intentional. We, we sometimes, as humans, we want certainty, we want predictability, yet God doesn't always work that way. It requires faith, and faith requires trust. Navigating through life and, and our relationship with God requires that we be in communion with God daily. To do theology, to think and, and to grow, it requires humility. There's a story told of uh, this uh, guy who began teaching business classes at, uh, 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 for, I believe, it, uh, for pris uh, inmates, prison inmates. Um, and on the first line of classes, he started uh, his, the chapter on banking. And during the course of his lecture, the subject of ATM machines, the place where you get the cash or you can deposit checks and cash came up. And he mentioned that on average, most machines contain only about $1,500 at a given time. And at the back, in the back, there was a man who raised, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, sir, but the machine that I robbed had about $5,000 in it. <laughs> Sometimes we learn best by experience. And that's how it is with humility. Sometimes we have to be humbled the hard way. And experience will definitely humble you rather quickly. We sometimes uh, don't give it uh, the stock that it uh, deserves, the reputation, not just necessarily the reputation, but the significance of what humility uh, can do for us. I have 
I have certainly learned far more through experience, making mistakes and being humbled than I ever have trying to be confident. Now, when we look at scripture, we see evidence that God is one. In fact, the, the Jewish uh, Shema or prayer that is found in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The emphasis being one. Why, why would the writer of Deuteronomy just say one? There has to be something more to just this one. And when you look at Genesis 2 verse 24, it also helps shed light where it says, uh, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And so this kind of helps to start to get the picture of, you know, when, when, when a couple gets married, although they are two, uh, two individuals, they then become one. And, and much like a, a couple, uh, the Holy Spirit works together in tandem. Another key verse that uh, we could also look at is found in Genesis 1 verse 26, where it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, over the livestock and all of the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Why would God say, Why? let's make mankind in our image? Surely there has to be something more. And the fact that it's alluding to the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So now I want to share a quick illustration. And I've kind of talked about it before, but I'm going to try to give a practical nature. Now, here's an egg. And don't worry, I actually hard-boiled these eggs this morning because I did not want to drop it accidentally and make a big mess. But here's an egg. Now, within an egg, let's see if this works. Oh, boy. You have, I'm just going to break it apart because it's just easier that way. <laughs> you have the shell. All right. There are three parts to an egg. The shell, the egg white, and obviously the yolk. Now, could you have an egg with just the yolk? And the egg white, would it be a complete egg? No, you have to have the shell. What about the shell and an egg yolk? Would it be a whole egg? It wouldn't, it would still need the egg white. Now, as delicious as this looks, <laughs> eggs is, are simply just a, a symbol and an application to help us understand that the Holy Spirit, while there are three different parts, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, working together, it helps to understand and share who God is. Now, the Holy Spirit works in all of us. We've talked about it in the past, how the Holy Spirit even equips us with gifts and talents. But the Holy Spirit is also intentional and not just some robot. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, it says, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one, just as He determines. And so the Holy Spirit is intuitive and knows and understands each person, each person's desires and dreams and abilities. He works with us, the Holy Spirit works with us individually. And, and when, you, when you, perhaps maybe you're, you see somebody else, maybe they have that great talent, they, they're able to, to play the guitar well, they're able to, uh, whatever talent, they can sing, 
um, maybe you think, well, I want that talent and work to develop it. But, but the Holy Spirit blesses us with talents that we are cap- that God knows we are capable of of performing and. And don't worry so much about what other people's talents are, but develop the ones that God has given and blessed you with, and God will give you more. Especially when you are faithful, more will be added, and your ability to be effective in sharing the gospel will be expanded. Now, as we continue, for instance, in Romans 8, verses 14 through 16, it says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Is it a It's a beautiful promise that we are children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so much that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And even in verse 26 as well, It says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Have you ever been at a place in in life where you're just so overwhelmed and you, you can't even describe what you're feeling, yet the Holy Spirit knows what we are going through? And the Holy Spirit is intuitive enough to know and understand what we are dealing with and can lead and guide us. Now, the whole power of the Holy Spirit as well is at work. In Luke 4, verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. And in Acts 10, verse 38, it says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and the power And he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. The Holy Spirit is not something that is static or just waving around or, or, you know, floating about. The Holy Spirit is active in our lives and pushing and moving. I mean, just look at the the book of Acts and even uh, when uh, Jesus was doing all of these miracles and all the wonderful things. Holy Spirit was moving and, and, and captivating people, pushing people towards the gospel, or not, not necessarily pushing, but, but trying to reach them that they may be drawn to God or to Jesus or to the disciples, that their lives, they may find out who this Jesus is, who this God is that loves them and cares for them. And in some cases, they were healed or they got a new lease on life. And it was so powerful that they even were willing to die for their belief. Holy Spirit helped them through these difficult time periods. Now, a couple of questions that we should ask ourselves. How does the knowledge of the Spirit's personhood affect the way that you pray? Personally, I, I, I think this is awesome because the Holy Spirit is such that it's, I can talk to the Holy Spirit as if I'm talking to you. The Holy Spirit listens and understands and heeds uh, my concerns, my needs. It's not some distant mystical thing, but it is real. And, and I'm, I'm grateful 
that there is a God who has not abandoned me, but is with me. Just as the disciples were promised that, the, that God would never leave us nor abandon us, God sent the Holy Spirit. God here on earth. Even though Jesus had gone to heaven, the Holy Spirit was, is able to be here to help lead and guide us. The other question, though, that we have to ask ourselves is, given the history of, of you know, there was, at times, nobody was in one accord uh, uh, of how they understood the Holy Spirit or even the understanding of God, and that really to grow requires conversation. When you talk with others, when you relate to others, how does that influence you? Do you come across as, well, I'm right and you need to believe this? Or is it a point where maybe first let's listen and try to understand what they're trying to say before we even say anything? Now, I've also learned too that rather than trying to just, you know, win the argument with words, one of the most effective ways that I handle discussions, especially when they get very lively, just to ask questions. And guess what? What did Jesus do whenever he came across a very difficult challenge? He always responded with a question. Because it requires people to be able to think about their position. And, and rather than saving us from uh, saying things that we probably shouldn't say, lead with questions and lead with grace and love and understanding but continue to be faithful, read the scriptures, discover who God is, search wide from Genesis to Revelation, and you'll find a God that is both loving and endearing. God the Father, God the Son, and especially God the Holy Spirit. May you be blessed, and as you... uh, discuss with your small group this week. I hope and pray that uh, you will be blessed and that you have a deeper understanding. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, continue to be with us as we uh, as we go through life and as we uh, learn more about the Holy Spirit. Be with us, especially in our discussions this week. Lord, make the Holy Spirit real and alive to us, that you're not some distant God, but that you are here with us now, and that, Lord, Though there are three parts of you, God, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we know that you are one and that you are the God of the universe. So thank you again. Be with us this week. Keep us safe. And uh, until we meet again, in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.com. God bless.